I think we should keep on singing or something, man. That was just great. Gospel praise, thank you. Wasn't that incredible? They deserve another hand. Give them another hand. And thank you, Dewey, for the incredible uh, introduction, an, an undeserved introduction, and an undeserved privilege from the faculty of the Bible department to be able to stand behind this pulpit, a place that uh, proves to be very intimidating. I'm finding that out right now. I'm looking for follicles of John MacArthur back here and stuff. But uh, seriously, this to me right here is a very sacred place because of the men uh, that preach here and for what they stand for and the men of God that they are. And this is a, a, a privilege that I'm really unworthy to, to be a part of, but I stand in the confidence that God has called me to do this this morning and confident in the fact that He's burdened my heart, broken my heart about something in my own life that I think, as a college, we need to be burdened and broken by. Before I, I start, though, see how far this thing goes, I just want to take an opportunity while I got your ear to tell you some exciting things are going to happen at the Master's College in a couple weeks. Uh, as you know, each month we have, or each semester, we have a thing called ASB Student Chapels. And last semester we had Elizabeth Elliott. And that was really fun to have her here, and that was tremendous. We had our nighttime Vesper services. Excellent time. Uh, and, and this semester... God has doubly blessed us this semester in our ASB student chapels. And when I first uh, was asked to, to be a student by chaplain, I was like, well, <laughs> I never thought of doing that. <laughs> I wonder what he does. <laughs> what does a student body chaplain do? And uh, I believe that that's what God wanted me to do. And so I started praying, Lord, what do you want? What do you want for the Master's College right now? And uh, the Lord laid it on my heart to pray. To pray for the Master's College. To pray uh, for my own heart, revival in my own heart because I knew that I was at a place where I needed revival and I saw that it was a place I thought we were at as a college that as a whole we needed revival and so the Lord provided some men and we've been praying for revival all last semester and this semester and we started praying about these, these student chapels that are coming up this uh, spring we started praying for them last fall and we started praying for some men that we thought were like there's no way they're ever going to be here you know but we prayed believing that God if he, if he wanted to he could get them here and God is sovereign and He has done that. And we have the incredible privilege to have two men coming to us in, uh, next week, a week from this Friday. Uh, next Friday is when our student body ASB student chapels begin. Uh, two men that are just, uh, their ministries are marked by revival and they've been blessed with revival. And the first one, uh, I'm sure most of you have heard of, his name is Steve Camp. He's a contemporary, you guys have heard of him, huh? Now, if you haven't heard of him, I'll tell you what, the man lives, preaches, sings, revival. He's incredible. The man talks about radical Christianity. That's all he talks about is being radical for God. And we're going to have the privilege of having him here for three chapels. The Friday, the Monday, and the Wednesday in here playing his music and uh, preaching to us. So we're excited about that. And on Friday, we have the incredible privilege of having a man here whose uh, books we've all, most of us have read. They've been assigned to us uh, in class. <laughs> but we have read them. And uh, he's an incre another incredible man who, whose revival is on his heart. And that's uh, Sammy Tippett. And he's going to be here on Friday. And so we're, we, are, we are really excited. I mean, it's, God is sovereign. You know what I'm saying? He is sovereign. And, I, and I'm convinced that he wants to do something here at the Master's College because he knows what we need. And he's allowed these people to come. And so I'm pumped because he's going to do something. He's going to do something at the Master's College. And so... I challenge you, and, and as we as ASB challenge you to pray, to be praying about uh, what God would do in your heart these next couple of weeks as we have some incredible 
uh, things the Lord wants to do with us. Okay? The theme that we, we kind of chosen for the, for the ASB chapels is Fan the Flame. And it's taken from a book title by a man, from a man named uh, Joe Stoll. Uh, some of you guys might know him. He's, he's a president, I believe, at Moody Bible Institute. And he wrote a book called Fan the Flame. And that's what we've chosen as our theme. Fan the Flame. He said, what does that mean? What does it mean to fan the flame? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning and kind of use this time to prepare our hearts and set our focus on something that we're going to be heading to next week. Fan the flame. So if you turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Have you ever wondered what God thinks of the Master's College? I've thought of that sometimes. Like, I wish He could just like come in here in chapel and, and tell us what He thinks about Tell us how we're doing. Or at least, like, write us a letter. And a little angel gram, you know, write a letter supernaturally and send it by an angel. But God's not into writing letters too much. At least He's not anymore. But He used to be. And He wrote some letters uh, through a man, uh, the Apostle John. And he was on the Isle of Patmos and he wrote letters to seven churches while he was exiled. And, and they're recorded here in the first three chapters of Revelation 3. Revelation 3, there's no S on it, excuse me. Uh, they're letters of praise, letters of encouragement. Some are letters of rebuke, some are letters of warning. I wonder what ours would read if he were to write us a letter today. May I suggest to you, to us, as a college... That if God were to write us a letter, if Christ were to write, Jesus Christ were to write us a letter, it would sound something like this. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. Or if you'll allow me, to the angel of the school in Newhall, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. Jesus Christ. These are the words of Jesus Christ, who is always walking around among the seven churches. He's walking around, seeing what's going on. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have per persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Which you Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. At first glance, it seems like a letter. Uh, it's kind of shocking. It's like a paradox. You know, they're doing good except they get rebuked. Let's pray and we'll talk about what, what it's all about, okay? Father God... Thank you for your word and how it's so practical to us. Father, we ask you by your word right now that you would instruct us and reprove us, Lord, rebuke us, challenge us, motivate us, convict us, only as your word can do. Father, I pray that these would not be my words, but they'd be words of you and that they would come across with power and with conviction and with the Holy Spirit, that you might be glorified and you might be pleased with us here at the Master's College. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a strange letter. It's a shocking kind of letter. Verses 1 through 3, we, it's, we, we see a church that is very active, a church that uh, is pure, that's doctrinally sound. They're kicking out the evil people. 
and they're making sure everything, everybody's preaching the right thing, you know. Uh, they're persevering through trials. I mean, to me, it sounds great. Well, it sounds good, huh? Sounds like a good church. But not to Christ, because he says, wait a minute, something's missing. Something you do offends me. Something, I have something against you. And he calls him in verse 5 to repent. That's pretty strong language, to repent. That means there's sin somewhere. To repent. You say, well, why? Well, in verse 4 is, is our answer. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. What does that mean to forsake your first love? Well, translated here, the first can mean priority. means priority. First, priority. That thing that we do first. Priority. And the love is agape love. Commitment. Not just the warm, fuzzy feelings we get at camp and stuff like that. It's talking about a commitment love. That kind of love. And so put together, it means you have forsaken your first love or your priority commitment. Your first commitment. What is our priority commitment? We, we hear it all the time. We've been preached that to a thousand times this, this semester, last semester. What is our priority commitment here? Love God, right? Love for God. That's our priority commitment is to love God first and foremost. And Jesus says to the church, well, you've been doing all the right stuff. You've been you've doing all these great things, but you forgot me in the process. You got wrapped up being busy and doing all the, the, the right stuff, but you forgot the most important thing, and that's to tend the heart, your heart. That flame that burns inside you for me, you forgot that. And that flame that once burned bright is now just flickering, and it's ready to go out. Now, the Ephesian church, to me, stands an example, I think, to all of us, that a church or a school or an individual can be doing all the right stuff, but not be right with God. Because God is more concerned about our heart, about our hearts, than He is our lifestyle. In other words, God is more concerned, He's not as concerned as what we do, as He is with why we do what we do. Let me say that again. If you don't get anything in this whole time we're here together this morning, please get this one thought. And may it rivet in your mind. God is not as concerned with what we do as He is with why we do what we do. That's convicting to me. Because you see, my tendency to deal with God is... How you doing, God? Whip out my little spiritual business card, you know? Say, hey, God, check this out. It's me. Ken Raymond. See? Right there. I'm in Bible college. God, check me out, man. Bible college. You know, hey, I've been living, I've been living for you since junior high, man. I mean, hey, I help lead a Bible study on Friday nights, part of a leadership team. It's good. I go to Grace Community Church. You know that one guy, you know John MacArthur, right hand man. You know, I go to his church. I'm an RA. Ah, come on, I'm an RA at the Master's College. I'm, I'm the chaplain for the student body. God, are you seeing this, God? Are you seeing this? You know. I read my Bible every day. I pray. Oh, and by the way, God, don't forget I led three people to the Lord last week. Oh, wait a minute. Four people to the Lord last, last week. Okay, you see that? See, that's how I, oftentimes I come to God like that. And I say, God, look what I've done. But He just crumbles it up and says it's garbage. It's junk. It's junk. Because He goes right past my pious front, my business card, my suit and tie, and He looks at my heart. He looks at my heart. That's the way God is. And he wants to see there a heart that's burning with a passion for God. That's what he wants to see there. And I have to admit that I think at this point in my life, 
And I'll be honest with you, when God looks at my heart, I think He sees more, uh, more smoke than He sees fire. A whole lot of busyness and a whole lot, with a lack of, a whole lot of activity with a lack of love for God. Those things that I once did spontaneously, they're just rituals now, it's kind of traditions I do. Those things that were once a real joy to do for me have become something, just a burden that I have to do, a thing I have to do. And to be blatantly honest, sometimes I just feel like I'm caught in a system and I'm committed to a system of Christianity and I'm not committed to my first love, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you guys might have felt that way before. Some of you might be feeling it right now. But God holds us accountable. He holds us responsible. Regardless of that system around us, He, regard, he, he, he holds us accountable to be responsible and responsible to fan the flame in our hearts for Him. To keep that love for Him in our hearts alive. He holds us responsible to that. You and me, responsible. And in order to be able to keep that flame going, we have to know what causes it to go out and what to do when we see it dying down. I'm convinced that a Christian college is the, is the toughest place to maintain your heart for God. You might say, whoa, that's why I came here. Because I want to have a heart for God. Come to a Christian college. Well, personally, I think it's the hardest place. Because it's very easy at a Christian college to get trapped in a system of Christianity. It's, it's, it's incredibly easy to. And I've seen certain characteristics. This is the second Christian college I've had the opportunity to go to. And I've seen certain char characteristics, three to be exact, characteristics that are inherent to a Christian college or a system of Christianity. All of which tend to extinguish the flame of for, uh, love for God in my heart. And in order to illustrate them, I want to use a group of individuals who, who are caught in a the system themselves. And who are deeply committed to doing all the right stuff, but for all the wrong reasons. People in the Bible, Jesus confronted and rebuked them all the time. Who's that? Pharisees. So if you would turn to me, with me to Mark 7. And we're going to have to fly through this stuff. So forgive me if I start speaking fast. Or dancing when I preach. Yeah. Characteristic number one. I see a tendency to be trapped by tradition. Mark chapter 7. Verses 6 and 7, we find uh, the Pharisees have confronted Jesus and said they, they caught Jesus and his disciples eating without cleaning their hands. And he says, well, how come your disciples don't do what the law says to clean your hands before you eat? And Jesus stops and says this in verse 6 of chapter 7, Mark chapter 7. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written, these people honor me with your lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are but rules taught by men. See, Jesus said, hey, listen, you guys are worshiping me and you got all these rules, but you got no heart, man. You got no heart. You're a hypocrite. Check this out for a definition of hypocrisy. I like this. Going through a system of beliefs with lack of true love and devotion. That's hypocrisy. Going through a system of beliefs with a lack of true love and devotion. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And you know what? I, I have to confess something. This Christianity stuff, if I can call it that, okay, Christianity is all I've ever known. I'm a second generation Christian. I was raised in a Christian home. It's all I've ever known. And sometimes I ask myself, I sit 
by myself and I ask, what am I doing in this thing for? What am I doing this? Is this all I've ever known? Is this because I'm just carrying on the tradition of my parents? I was born and bred in, so I'm responsible to carry on the tradition? Or do I do it because I love God? And I have the ability to live the Christian life with my eyes closed. I can do it. I know how to do it. I know how to dress. I know how to walk. I know how to talk. I know how to pray. I know how to look good. I know how to do it. I can live this system with my eyes closed because I got it down. I got the Christian life down. It's a system. I can do it. I know how to do it. And it scares me because if I'm not careful that I can go through all these things I'm doing without any love for God. That's scary to me because I'll just be a hypocrite. I do my quiet time because it's just a thing to do and I pray just because it's a thing to do. I go to church just because it's a thing to do and it's just a ritual. It's a tradition. I just do. And it's interesting to note that the church in Ephesus was a second generation church. If you study it, it's a second generation church that Christ was writing to. And there's always a tendency in a second generation situation to start doing stuff just because it's all you've ever known and it's just passing on the tradition, carrying on the tradition. You know what's interesting too? And I don't think this is by coincidence or this is, it's, it's ironic that the Master's College is a second generation college right now. Do you realize that? This is the first year here. This, this year, we are the first, we are the second generation this year. Because it's the first year that nobody's here that was here the first year when LABC became the Master's College and we were laying down all the principles of why we're going to do all the things we're going to do. There's still, still some people hanging around. Okay, that's okay, we still love you. you know? <laughs> but the majority of us are second generation and it's easy to do a lot of stuff, a lot of traditions, a lot of rituals, just because it's something that we've always done. Something that Russ Moore gets up here and tells us because they're distinct as in the Master's College, so we have to do them. You know what I'm saying? It's easy. And when you get very used to a system, it's easy to, you get familiar with it, it's easy just to live it by tradition and by uh, ritual. And we don't understand that these things that we hear uh, talked about are not just tradition or ritual, but they're principles of God's Word. They're principles of God's Word. So living by tradition, rituals, and familiarity with a system has a potential to extinguish the flame in our heart for God. That's characteristic number one. Characteristic number two. I see a, a temptation, or a characteristic, a temptation to rely on environment to determine our character and actions. I see a tendency... A temptation to rely on environment to determine our character and our actions. The Pharisees are a classic example of this. I don't need to turn to any passage. We all know they were, they were a rules-oriented group of people. Ten wasn't good enough. They wanted Ten commandments wasn't good enough. So they made 613 or more. I mean, that's crazy. If you ask me, I can't even keep ten. Why do I want to make more? But they made them. And they used those things to make them look spiritual. And they relied on the little books of laws and everything, the things they carried around. And they relied on their other pharisaical friends and everything to, to prop them up and to make them look good and spiritual, you know. Because they relied on the environment. We do the same thing. We rely on the environment, the environment around us to control and determine how we act and what we do, how we look, what we say. How about these for some, this external pressures in our environment? An RA. You can rely on your RA, you can rely on teachers, you can rely on deans, you can rely on a student handbook, you can rely on your friends, you can rely on a whole lot of stuff to prop yourself up and to make yourself look good 
and look spiritual and feel spiritual when really you forgot to tend your heart inside, your very own personal life. Let me ask you a few questions. Think about these. These are questions I often ask myself. So think about them. Why do you go to church? Is it because you know you're going to sign in a little piece of paper when you come in on Monday morning? I've thought of that. And I found myself going to church sometimes on Sunday evening because I had tons of studying to do and I didn't feel like going because I want to get this done. I went because, well, it's going to start adding up and, you know, let's see, I, I missed two already and, you know, okay, I got to sign in. Oh, I better go. That is garbage. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's garbage. Why am I involved in ministry? Second question, why am I involved in ministry? Is it because I'm guilty? Because if I don't do it, I'm going to feel guilty that like, somebody's going to say something to me, like, why aren't you in ministry? You know, all these Am I involved because I'm guilty about something? Or do I do it because I love God? Why do you pray before meals? Why do you pray before meals? Because everybody's in there and they're looking and you know, everybody watches me with my train. I sit down. Everybody prays before meals, so I've got to pray before meals. Or do you do it because you love God and you're really thankful for what He's given you? Why... Why do you go on a mission trip? Because somebody said you had to or you should go? Or because you love God? Why are you in a small group? Discipleship group. Why are you involved in disciples? Because your RA twisted your arm? Say, like, come on, you got to do this. You're not spiritual, you know? <laughs> Is that why you're in it? I, I, I've asked myself these questions. How about girls? Why, girls, why do you wear a certain length skirt? Is it because the handbook says I have to? Or is it because you love God and you want to please God? Things we got. I didn't ask myself that question. Ken, why do you wear a short skirt? <laughs> why do I spend... Now, as an RA, I ask myself this question. Why do I spend time with, with the guys in my wing? Is it because I'm fulfilling a job description? Or is it because I'm doing it because I love God and I love these guys? Alright, that's enough questions. We have to be careful. Very careful because an environment won't always be here. Do you realize that? I'm leaving in a couple of months and I'm out of here. I mean, this environment is not going to be here for me to lean on anymore and these external pressures are going to be here for me to lean on and prop myself up on and make myself look good. They're not going to be here anymore. And I tell you, I'm going to fall flat on my face if I've... The test is going to be when I leave if I fall flat on my face that I've relied on these things to make me look spiritual. And if you rely on it now, you rely on your environment now, it's going to have the tendency to extinguish the flame in your heart for God. Second characteristic. Third characteristic. Number three. I see a tendency that we can become trained to focus on outward appearance more than inward appearance. We're trained to focus on outward appearance more than inward appearance. And for sake of time, I won't look up, but it's Matthew 23. If you want to write down, Matthew 23, 25-28. And it's the whole idea of Jesus confronts the Pharisees about cleaning the outside of their cup and forgetting on the inside. And he says, you're whitewashed tombs, man. You got, you got dead man's bones inside you. You look good on the outside, but you got dead man's bones because you're, you're dwelling on the outside. And he says, clean the, outside, uh, clean the inside of your cup first. And then worry about the outside. The outside will take care of itself. Clean the inside first. And it's a pressure. We're put in a pressure situation here in our little Christian bubble. We see everybody, know everything that happens to everybody. And we're put in a pressure to look good all the time and act a certain way. People see the outside. It's what everybody sees. They don't see the inside. So I better take care of that first. I better take care of the outside first. That's what people are going to see first. And it's the easiest thing to maintain anyway. It doesn't take any effort to maintain the outside. I can do it by heart right now. 
And that scares me because I'm good at that. I'm good at that. I have a tendency to work on the external appearance more than my heart for God. And I'm good at it. Do you realize that I could be cheating? Right now, I could, I could be cheating on my zoology exams. Now you say, you look at my scores and you'd know otherwise. But <laughs> I could be... What else could I be? I could be up in my room reading dirty magazines in my room. I could be doing it. For all you know, I could be doing it. I could be stealing from the guys in my wing, stealing money. I have the key. You know, I have the key to all the rooms. You ever think about that? Your RA has a key to all your rooms. If you ever lose something, go to your RA first, all right? Because he's... But it's true. For all you know, I could be stealing from the guys. You know what? I could be involved in an immoral relationship with my fiancé. For all you know, for all you know, I could be doing it. You know why? Because I know how to fool you. I know how to fool you guys. Believe me, I know how to do it. I've, done, I've lived a Christian life for 10 years now. I know how to dress, I know how to walk and talk and pray. I can do it, I can fool you guys. And I can get up here and look really good, you know? And like everything's okay and I can look spiritual. But I know something. And I live with this reality. That I cannot fool God. And I live with the reality of the fact that God looks past my little pious front that I put up for everyone. He looks past his little suit and tie. He looks right to the heart. And he can see my heart. And he sees what's in there. Is it making sense? God is concerned with our heart this morning. He wants to know what our heart's like. Not what we look like. Not what we do. He wants to be our first love. Jesus Christ says, let's cut through all that garbage and let's get to the priority issue. Do you love me or you don't love me? Why do you do the things I do? Do you do them because you have to do them or do you because you want to do them? Because you love me. You see, if Christ is our first love, we won't be able to be trapped by tradition. If Christ is our first love, we won't be able to be trapped in our tradition. We won't be able to do things just because we've always done them. But we're going to do things and say things and all that because we love God. If He's our first love, if He's our priority commitment, then we're going to do it because we love God. If, if Christ, if Jesus Christ is our first love, if He's our priority commitment, we won't be able to rely on environment to determine our character interactions. Because it's not going to matter who's watching. And it's not going to matter what people expect of me. But we're going to do things, we're going to live a certain way. We're going to live right, we're going to live morally because we love God. We love Christ. If Christ is our first love, if He's our priority commitment, it's going to retrain us to focus more on our insides, our heart for God, than it is our externals. If Christ is our first love. Is Jesus Christ your first love this morning? I submit, I just ask you. Is Jesus Christ, as a, as a college, our first love? Is He the reason why we do everything we do? And for your own personal heart, you and me both, is Christ your first love? Is He the reason why you're here this morning? In chapel? Or are you just filling another requirement? Why am I, is, is He the reason why I'm preaching? Or is I'm just up here trying to get a good critique from the sermon prep guys? Because I know you're out there. Or do I do it because I love God? Christ knows. God knows. And you know. And I know. What our hearts are like. Is your flame flickering? Fan the flame, right? That's our theme. Fan the flame. 
What's your flame in your, of your heart like? Your love for God. Is it flickering? Is it, is it burning bright? That's great if it is. And I'm sure there's a lot of us that it's burning bright. But for others of us, it's probably flickering. And for some, it might just be coals right now. And there's no flame. And it's gone out. Christ, like he called the, the church in uh, Ephesus in, in the second chapter of Revelation, he says, hey, I want you to restore your love for me. I want to give you a chance to do that. I love you. And we've got to fan the flame of our hearts. How do we do it? If you turn back to Revelation 2 real quick and we'll be done. We'll go to verse 5. And you have to ask yourself now the question. What's your heart like? God knows you know. What's your heart like? What's the flame like? Does it need to be revived? Is it dying? Is it flickering? Does it need to be fanned? Does it need to... Logs need to be tossed around or kicked out or blown on or whatever you need to do to get that fire going. It needs to be revived. He gives us some steps right here. Two things. Revelation 2, verse 5. It says, first of all, remember. Remember. The height from which you have fallen. He just tells us, remember. Use your memory. Remember those first works you used to do because you love me. Remember that zeal with which you served God with. That joy that you served God with, that you minister to other people with. Or uh, remember that fervency with which you prayed. Or that deep love that you had for souls and you went out and, and, and shared Christ. Or that deep uh, anticipation when you opened God's word to learn something. from. Remember that. Think about that. What was it like? I remember days of my life when it was hot, baby. We're talking my heart was burning. And the flame was just coming out of everywhere, you know. And it was hot. And God and I were having sweet fellowship. But I tell you what, it's a constant battle to keep it there. And i got to constantly remind myself, that's how it should be. That's what it's like. And that's the way I like it best. Amen? you got to remember that. Think about that. And realize that there's a need. If you see you've... It says, it says remember the height from which you've fallen. If you realize you have fallen from a certain height or come from a, uh, come away from something, you let your flame die down and you have to admit that. And just admit the fact that you need revival in your heart. That's, that's the first thing. Remember and understand that you're not where you should be. We're not where we should be. That's the first thing. Remember. Number two, it says repent and do the things you did at first. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your way of life, right? To change the reason you do things and all that stuff. So if you repent, you're going to say, Okay, I'm, I'm done doing things by tradition. And I'm done doing things by ritual. I'm not going to be trapped in that anymore. And I'm not going to rely anymore on this environment. My friends and the deans and a, and a Rushmore and a handbook and, a, and, and all this stuff we do. We rely on us to make us spiritual. I'm not going to rely on that anymore. No way. I'm not going to rely on that. Because that's not real spirituality. That's not true spirituality. That's not internal righteousness. And then you say, I'm going to just stop. I'm going to stop right now. Worrying so much about this external thing. And worry about my heart. That's what repentance is all about. It's, it's restoring Christ to the priority. To be your first love. To be your first commitment. How do you do that? You just say, you, you, you confess the fact that you've moved away. Right? That's all we do. We, we confess the fact that we've allowed him to get pushed aside and, and let our flame flicker. And we say, hey, Christ, I want you to be 
in the rightful place you deserve to be in my life. Priority. Number one commitment. The reason why I do everything is you, Jesus Christ. And you do that consciously. You consciously have and you say, okay, I'm putting you back in the rightful place. And then you've got to act on it. And you know what it's going to take. Whether it means not hanging around certain people, or it means starting to spend more time in the Word, more time in prayer, or you know what, it, what it's going to take. I just like to end real quick with the, the, the verse, uh, last part of verse 5. You cannot neglect it. It says, you, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The scariest thing in my entire life, my worst fear, is that someday I will no longer be useful to God. My power and my effectiveness will be gone. And that's what that lamp is talking about. I'll come and remove your lampstand. It's talking about that, that power and effectiveness that Christ gives us through the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the, that we're able to light up the world. We're, we're, we're able to be a light in this dark world. It takes power, it takes influence. And that's the scariest thing for me that someday Christ is going to say, Hey, listen, you didn't repent, man. I'm taking that away from you. And I'm going to stand here all dressed up but no place to go. And I tell you what, if there's, if there's anything that I could, as I think about leaving the Master's College, if there's one thing that scares me or, or that I fear is that someday down the road I hear about the Master's College and it's just gone the way of every other Christian college because we've forsaken our first love and we've lost our power and influence in this world and our effectiveness because we wouldn't repent of just doing a whole lot of stuff with no love for God. God's concerned about our hearts this morning. He's concerned about our hearts. And some of us might need to do some business, so I'm going to give us some time just to think, alright? So just bow your heads, please. Just bow your heads and I'm going to...